dismissed to Children's Church now. Have a great time down there. And um, in case you're wondering about when and where the baptism service is, uh, it'll be after the worship service. We'll move down to the gymnasium. Uh, we have coffee and donuts set up down there. Um, at, just as an inducement to get you down, down there quickly. And then uh, after just a few moments, we'll have our baptism down there. So uh, that'll be after this, uh, this service. We're in Romans chapter 9. Uh, um, you could join us in Romans 9, starting at verse 14 today. Getting into heaven is a rather simple proposition. That is, there is only one entrance requirement. God has scaled it all down to just one thing. You have to be perfect. Unfortunately, that one thing has eluded us all, hasn't it? Though uh, none of us are perfect, and so given that one criteria, none of us could enter in. And so God has done something to take care of that. The, the next best thing is mercy. Since we can't earn it, mercy is required. And God gives that to us through Christ, as we, we shall see uh, in this passage today. Mercy is really what we need. I read some time ago about... Uh, a lady who went to a famous artist to have her portrait uh, painted and uh, with great anticipation she returned a couple weeks later, the portrait was supposed to have been done and so she comes into his studio and he's got it all covered up with a canvas and he reveals it and, and she's shocked by it she said well this portrait doesn't do me justice and he said madam what you need is not justice, but mercy. <laughs> That's true for us. What we need is not justice, because if we got what we deserved, it would it'd be hell for all of us. But what we need is mercy. We find out in God's word here in Romans chapter 9 about God's great mercy. First of all, God's mercy is God's choice. We look at uh, verse 14, we see that God's basis of his choice is righteous. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. Well, of course, the reason for the question there, beginning in verse 14, goes back to the previous passage. So if you back up to verse 10 of Romans 9, uh, Paul says this, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. Now, already in, in 10 through 12, we see that, that 
God is setting this up for us to see that it has nothing to do with the, the good or evil of, of Jacob or Esau, the children of Rebekah. Even before they were born, this was decided, before they had a chance to do anything, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, his election, might remain steadfast, that it might stand. It was said to her, the, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And last week we saw how that, particularly in the Old Testament, that kind of phraseology is associated with choice. It's a way of saying, Jacob I have chosen, but Esau I have not chosen. And so the question comes up, well, well, gee, is that fair? I mean, if Esau didn't have a choice in this, if God made the choice and, and God didn't choose Esau, then is that fair? And so Paul raises the question for us. He even asks it this way, what shall we say then? What, what are we going to say about this? Is there unrighteousness with God? In other words, is, has God made a mistake here? Did, did God do something wrong, bad? Was he in error? And Paul's response is, no, this, this perfectly reflects God's character, which is righteous. He says, is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. So if there's a problem in understanding this and, and dealing with this, which I think there is for all of us because... I mean, I struggle with these things too, how, how to fit all this together. But I have to come back to the fact that if someone's not understanding this right, is it me or is it God? Well, I don't think it's God. He is righteous in all he does. And, and sometimes in the end, we just have to say that I don't understand, but I know that God is perfect in all that he does. Psalm 1830, all of his ways are perfect. So, and that's what, what Paul says here. Is there any unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. May it never be. So God's basis of choice is righteous. Secondly, God's basis of choice is his sovereign will. Verse 15, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So instead of appealing to human reason here as a, as a response to this, Paul appeals to something much higher than human reason, and that is Scripture. What has God said? We, we mere humans try to judge these things based on our limited knowledge, our finite understanding, our corrupted natures and wills, and our self-serving desires. And that does not put us in very good stead for trying to figure these out. Paul shows us that there's an, another approach which is quite different. It is based on God. On, on what God has said. On his knowledge, his holy character, and his unchanging word. And so, in response to this question that Paul himself raises, he goes to Scripture. And he goes to the, the uh, biblical account of the Exodus. 
And he says uh, to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. The, and the appeal to scripture here is to show that this is how God always works. This is his pattern of working. It's not something unordinary. It's based on his sovereign will. I will have mercy on whom I will. I'll have compassion on whom I desire to. It's his choice, his will. Uh, third, God basis, uh, God's basis of choice is not dependent on us. We don't sway him one way or another. Verse 16, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. It is not of him who wills. It's talking about human beings. It's not, what, it's not based on what human beings want to happen in themselves. The reason this is true, let's go back a few chapters to Romans chapter 3 and start at verse 10. <clears throat> As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. With this in mind, that there, there's no one who does good in, in light of what God calls good, which is holiness before him, there's none who chooses God. There, there are none who seek after God on their own. There are none who understand. If, if God had left it to the will of man, no one would have ever chosen God. Everyone, everyone would have been eternally lost. So it's not of the will of man, because no man would have on his own chosen God. We are rebels by nature. Paul, so Paul in verse 16 so then it is not of him the, the human who wills nor of him who runs it's a way of saying uh, it's not based on who tries the hardest because sure there are some who sin more than others and less than others and so forth but everyone sins and it's not who tries the hardest because no one qualifies not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. That is the only way someone can have a right relationship with him. It's of God who shows mercy. Now, what if God chose no one, but allowed people to decide on their own? Well, as we've already seen in Romans 3.10 and, and numerous other similar passages... If God chose no one and let people just decide on their own, no one would choose him. So no one would be saved. But what if we go the opposite way and say, what if God chose everyone? Hey, that sounds like a good deal. Just choose everyone and there's no one who uh, is held guilty. Well, then there would be no consequence for sin there would be no reason for righteousness. There would be no motivation to serve God. 
and there would be no display of his holy character and righteousness. Just like if you had an earthly judge and you knew that every person who ever came before this earthly judge was going to be acquitted. They might have murdered someone. They might have raped a child. It doesn't matter what they did. They come before this judge and the judge says, I'm going to let you go. Would you think that judge was a just judge? A righteous judge? In no way. And in the same way, the God who is perfect in his judgment and justice, he cannot just let sin go. And so he doesn't choose everyone and say, well, sin doesn't matter. But what if God chose some? And this is what God did. God chose some out of everyone who deserved nothing, God chose some. God's basis of choice involves his entire plan, verses 17 and 18. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, on, and on whom he wills, he hardens. Now, uh, God's basis of choice involves his entire plan. That's part of what's being communicated here, going back to, again to Exodus, and particularly to the time of, of the, uh, the plagues and the deliverance of Israel from uh, Egypt. You remember the story of the plagues? You ever read about those, heard about those? Uh, probably one of the most uh, well-known Bible stories is uh, a lot of people have seen the Ten Commandments, whether the Charlton Heston version or more modern versions. And we're familiar with the story of the, of the plagues and, um, and how God used that. Well, that story has been passed down year after year through hundreds of years now and all over the earth and God has received glory because of it it's part of his his plan of his message being disseminated through the whole world every year in the spring Passover is celebrated and even those of us who are not Jewish we understand what Passover is about and and uh, how God delivered his people and had them uh, slay a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost of their home so that on that night the angel of death when they passed over their homes would, would not kill those within that home but killed every one of the firstborn in the Egyptian homes and so the angel passed over their home and so it's the celebration of Passover and now of course the New Testament tells us that Jesus has become our Passover lamb he is the, the lamb who was slain for us so that death, eternal death passes over us. So the story of Passover is, is uh, reiterated every year to the glory of God. Now, God could have forced Pharaoh to say yes the first time. Remember, Moses had to keep coming to Pharaoh again and again. Let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, another plague. No, another plague. Yes. No, I changed my mind. Another plague. On and on it went. Well, 
God could have arranged things so that Pharaoh said yes the very first time. Just could have worked in his heart, changed him, made Pharaoh say, yes, they can go. Take whatever you want, go. But then what story would we have? And for the sake of God's glory and this story of, of deliverance, God allowed this to happen and he hardened even Pharaoh's heart. Even more important, you see, than the deliverance of Israel from Egypt is the glory of God. Even more important than the person of Pharaoh was the glory of God. And so, verse 17, for Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. Why did God raise up this Pharaoh? that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. It wasn't just about the plagues. It was about the glory of God and his power being declared in all the earth as it has been. So verse 19, I mean 18. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills. And whom he wills, he hardens. He hardens their hearts. He calcifies them so they are, they are stuck in that position of unrepentance. That's a hard saying, isn't it? It's a hard thing to take and understand. Certainly one of the most difficult statements in Scripture. Between what we saw last week, verse 13, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And this one, verse 18... He has mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills he hardens. Those are difficult things to explain and understand and has caused no small amount of consternation among even theologians. It is hard, but it is true. Just because something is difficult for us to understand in Scripture, we don't lay it aside and say, well, we don't need to deal with that or try to understand it or we can disregard it. It's hard, yes, but it's true. So it's incumbent upon us to try to understand what God means by this. And on whom he will, he hardens. Well, first of all, something to keep in mind. God's hardening is an act directed against human beings who are already in rebellion against God's righteous rule. Let me read that again because it's an important concept to keep in mind here. God's hardening is an act directed at human beings who are already in rebellion against God's righteous rule. So God's hardening does not therefore cause spiritual insensitivity to the things of God. Rather it maintains people in the state of sin that already characterizes them. Yet another way of saying this is God doesn't make people sin. But after they have sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned, he will harden them in that condition. This does not mean that God's decision about whom to harden is based on any particular degree of sinfulness within certain human beings 
Verse 18 says, He will have mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. So, it is imperative that we maintain side by side two complementary truths. One, God hardens whomever he chooses. It's totally God's will. God hardens whomever he chooses. Next to that, we have to keep as a complementary truth, his hardening affects those who have already by their sin deserved con condemnation. God never hardens someone who doesn't already deserve it. In fact, truly we all deserve it. But even though we all deserve that, on some, he has chosen to give mercy. Now, the next point, God's mercy is beyond question. Now, certainly we do question it because we just don't understand and we struggle with this. But in the end, we need to understand it's really beyond question. Verse 19 through 23. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory? But we are the clay. Verse 19, you will say to me then, here Paul is anticipating yet another argument in that God shows mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whom he wills. So here's him voicing for, uh, for someone else this argument. You'll say to me then, well, why does God still find fault? Because who has ever resisted his will? If it's based on his will, who could stand up to God and change his will? And here the, the clay questions the potter. God, why did you do that? Why did you make that choice? Why did you choose that way? It's not fair, God. Let's say I had a million dollars to give away. Oh, Lord, make this be true. <laughs> Let's say I had a million bucks to give away. And I just decided, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to divide it into four parts and give four different people $250,000, and I'm going to give it to you. And you, and you, and you. And I saw that hand back there. <laughs> Okay, is that fair? Is it fair? 
Can I do with my million dollars what I want to do? The four people I gave it to, do you think they'll have any complaints? No, but the guy in the back with his hand up, I saw it, Dennis, I saw it. <laughs> he, he, he might think otherwise. Some of us might think, well, how come I didn't get my cut? Do you deserve it any more or less than the other people? Well, well, no. Coming into here, when you came in today, no one of you expected that I owed you $250,000. There are a few of you I owe a few bucks to maybe, but I don't owe anyone that kind of money, right? And so that's not an expectation you have. You have no sort of expectation from me. I don't owe it to you. If it's mine to give, it's mine to freely give to whomever I choose. My choice. And so with God, as he looks out on people, there is no one, no one, no one who loves him, seeks him, understands him, follows him on their own. Everyone, everyone, everyone is in rebellion against him. Everyone has sinned against him. And even with that, he has chosen, he has decided to freely give a gift of eternal life to show his mercy on some. And he says, I'm going to give it to you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And I don't know the basis of his choice other than what Ephesians 1 says. It was according to the good purpose of his own will, which he decided before the worlds were, were established. His own sovereign choice. But he didn't owe it to any of us. And yet the clay questions the potter. Now it's clear. People do not go to hell because they were not chosen. People go to hell for one reason. Because they have sinned against holy God. That's the reason for hell. The clay does not have the right to question the parter. Verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Who are you compared to God? Who are you to come before God and say, you made a mistake. If I had been God, I would have done it differently. And woe to the world if I had been God. People sometimes get this idea that, you know, if it had been my choice, I would have done it differently. Sure, you would have. But God is perfect. Who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Can you imagine 
if you were a, a potter and you were making something and uh, you were making a vase or something and it started speaking out to you, I don't want to be a vase. I want to be a coffee mug or whatever. It just doesn't happen. Verse 21, does not the, power, does not the potter have power over the clay to make this, of the same lump one vessel for honor and one for dishonor. I want you to notice it's from the same lump. That is, there's nothing inherently different in the clay. It's from the same lump. So, so that you couldn't argue, well, maybe this is a better grade of clay than that. No, no. It's the same lump and their defects, sinful lumps. From the same lump, he makes some for honor some for dishonor some the potter will make as a vase and some he will make into a trash pot a spittoon or something but it's the potter's choice we all deserve judgment as we have seen and and here we we see for instance in verse 17 and 22 for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Now, Pharaoh, of course, resisted God's order, direction, sinned against God on his own before he was ever hardened. Verse 22, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. We are, we are all guilty. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve judgment because we're all guilty. Also because God is determined to do several things. One is he is determined to show his wrath. It is important to the righteousness of God that his wrath against evil be demonstrated on this earth and in eternity. Verse 22, what if God wanting to show his wrath... It's his, his settled attitude towards sin. And what if God not only wants to show his wrath, but to make his power known? His power is greatly revealed in his judgments. Uh, if you think about how he, he judged the earth back in the days of Noah and, and destroyed the whole earth with a flood. The power of God to do that. And again and again through history and then culminating with the Armageddon in years yet to come or in a time yet to come, God shows his power through his judgments. We all deserve judgment because we're all guilty, because God is determined to, to make his wrath against sin evident, to show his power in this world, and because we are all by nature vessels of wrath. We are crankpots and crackpots. All vessels for destruction. All rejects 
factory seconds at best and God demands the, the first quality the best perfection and none of us have that so finally God's mercy is our salvation <clears throat> those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are vessels of mercy in that um, verse 23 says and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory we are vessels of mercy. We deserve to be filled up with the wrath of God, overflowing with God's wrath, but we are instead filled up with His mercy. Now, grace, grace means something that you get something that you don't deserve, like salvation. Mercy means you don't get something that you do deserve like judgment so they're two sides of the same coin grace you get something you don't deserve like salvation mercy you don't get something you do deserve like judgment so we are vessels of mercy we are vessels of mercy by God's choice see how it says it in this in verse 30 uh, 23, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. He had chosen them, prepared them beforehand. It's been his plan all along, not based on anything that we have done, but on his sovereign will and choice. Verse 15, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Verse 18, therefore he has mercy on whomever he wills. Verse 24, even of us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. By those he called, by those he chose, he, he decided to pour out mercy upon your soul. We are vessels of mercy by God's choice. We are vessels of mercy to God's glory. Notice how that is mentioned twice here in verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. That is that, that we in the ages to come, as um, Ephesians 2, 7 says, we in the ages to come will sing forth the glories of God and praise him for his mercy. All through eternity we'll be praising God for the mercy that he showed us. And, and glorify him that he might make known the riches of his glory and we have understood something of those riches and will yet understand more when we see him face to face but not only that that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory so it's not only that we uh, we're going to glorify him forever but he has prepared us the vessels of mercy who deserve only wrath, he has prepared us for glory. And we shall be co-heirs with Christ, as we saw in Romans 8. 
And finally, we are vessels of mercy at a great price. If you go back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. Romans 3 and we'll start at verse 21 but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets so the topic here is the righteousness of God the, the righteous judge the righteousness of God is being demonstrated verse 22 even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God so the righteousness of God is given over to those who believe in Jesus Christ the the recipients of his mercy. God as the righteous judge could not just just forgive sin, just say, okay, everybody's forgiven. But he paid for that. He paid for the forgiveness that he might be a righteous judge. And so that those who have faith in the payment through Jesus Christ our Lord those are forgiven verse 24 being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus God gives the grace to us to believe he provides the redemption price the buying back of us through Christ verse 25 whom God set forth as the propitiation by his blood through faith. Now, as we were back in Romans 3 a little while ago, a few months ago, we were looking at the, this propitiation, and really the word has to do with the mercy seat. Same idea as the mercy seat in the Old Testament. Him being the propitiation, he is not only the payment of the mercy, he is the place of the mercy. Remember in the Old Testament, the the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he'd bring the blood of the sacrifice and, and put it on the mercy seat. And as God would look down upon the sacrifice, he'd forgive the sins of the people. Well, that mercy seat, that, that idea is who Christ is. He is the mercy seat for us. He, uh, verse 25 whom God set forth as a propitiation literally the mercy seat by his blood through faith so he is the payment by which God is able to show mercy on any of us to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of, of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So God did what it would take to give mercy to you. 
to, to anyone to anyone who has faith in Jesus as our worship term team comes up uh, to prepare to sing Amazing Love let me just close with this thought